Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are here continuing our remote teaching podcast uh, hosted by the Center for Innovation in Education. And I've got four guests here uh, who will introduce themselves and we will launch into our um, into the podcast after. So can I start with uh, Stuart, you're on my first. Yep, so I'm Stuart Wilkes-Haig from the Department of Politics. Great. Diana? I'm Diana Jeter. I'm an historian, uh, but I'm also Associate Dean of Education for the School of Histories, Languages and Cultures. Lovely. James, you're next up on my screen. I'm James Gaynor from the Department of Chemistry in the School of Physical Sciences. Okay, Anna? Hi, I'm Anna O'Connor. I'm from the School of Health Sciences and I'm an orthoptist. Great. Okay, so last time we talked about how remote teaching was going for you as, as the educator and naturally we would also want to talk about how it's going for, for the students from your perspective. So um, you might want to introduce what when we start talking about your student characteristics and then just talking about how you have found they finding it. So I'm just uh, opening up the discussion for you there. So that was probably two questions. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to start. I mean, I think I've got quite diverse experiences for my students in politics. So I've got this this huge group, uh, first year students, um, about 200 students. Um, that is challenging to know really how they're doing. I mean, virtually at the moment when we moved to online teaching, they had an essay due and the deadlines were extended and so on. But I mean, that was really the period of maximum disruption when everybody was working out whether they were going to go back to their parents or, you know, some of them international students, whether they're going to go back uh, uh, to, to, to their own country. Um, some, I think a few stayed in Liverpool, not many. So there's lots of them moving around and so on and trying to get uh, uh, ready for whatever was going to happen next and I, I find it very hard to gauge with 200 students what what's going on there really um quite a lot of them submitted the essay quite a lot didn't uh, the ones who haven't i haven't necessarily heard from them um and in the midst of all of this we you know we had the university communication which i thought was right absolutely about the no detriment policy and the safety net a little bit concerned that some first years have thought well it's okay then i don't really need to do anything now which appears to me to not strictly be true. Um, so to actually engage with that large cohort of first year students is, is, is difficult and challenging. Um, my third year students um, have been, um, it's only 13 of them in a group making radio programs, uh, but within that group, very diverse. Three have gone you know, to one extreme and started to make daily podcasts with amazing guests and, and so on, really grappling with the politics of this you know, incredible period that, that we're in. Um, again, some of the others have just gone silent and it's quite, it's quite hard to, to reach them. Uh, with that group, I did set up a communication platform using Slack, which uh, for those who don't know it, it's a um it's a kind of social engagement tool as an really meant as an alternative to email it's a bit more sort of like facebook or something like that uh, and that's worked really well actually with that with that group um and they've they've really enjoyed using that and that's been a great communication tool so really diverse experiences and i am worried about the students that i just don't hear from at all mm -hmm. okay i mean for, with the students that you you don't hear is that what what is available what what is at hand for you or because that must you know that that is a difficult um, situation when you don't have them on campus and you can't meet them 
Um, if, if I could uh, speak to that at the school-wide level, um, we, uh, we've put a lot of thinking, and, and I think the university as a whole has as well, has done a lot of really good thinking about student well-being. Uh, a lot of the central communications from the university have been about student well-being, student support, mental health, and that's very welcome. Uh, we've asked all of our uh, academic advisors to contact each of their academic advisees just to say, are you OK? Um, and normally I find if you contact your academic advisees, about half of them ignore you and you have to contact them several times. Um, in this case, almost all of them got back to me within hours to say I'm OK, which suggests to me that 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 reaching out was very welcome. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think in terms of our students mental health and well-being, uh, we've got a pretty good idea of the ones who are not talking to us and they are quite a minority when it comes to their well-being. This is slightly different from their engagement with the academic side of things and I think the reassurance about their well-being and how the university is taking that into account has in some cases encouraged students to think well in that case I can disengage from the academic work, I can focus on my well-being, I'm in a very stressful situation, uh, I mean, we've already heard from from each other about how when you've got a bunch of people in a household and everybody's trying to work from home, there's there's this pressure on the resources. Um, and that's equally true for our students. And I think some of them are just thought, well, we've got the no detriment policy, which I think made a huge difference, actually, particularly to my dissertation students who were becoming incredibly stressed because they couldn't do their dissertation work and they just didn't know what was going to happen to their degree. So I think we've done all the right things in terms of of addressing our students mental mm -hmm. state and reassuring them uh, that, that their whole university career won't be destroyed by this. But I think a knock on effect to that is that some of them very understandably have just decided to put university to one side because they haven't got the resources at home anyway. Um, one of the things that's encouraged my first years is is to point out to them that they may not be eligible for study abroad. Um, or, or some other things like placements if they don't have a 2-1 or a first and therefore it's worth trying to do something if they can because we want them to continue to engage with the learning anyway because that's providing foundations for what they'll go on to do. Um, so I, I think uh, there is a problem with our student, a lot of our, our students engagement with the academic work but I think we've been pretty good at making sure they're okay physically and mentally. Mm -hmm. Can I just check that with Anna and James as well, from your perspectives? Yeah, yeah. Just, oh, go on, James. Sorry, just to follow on from Diana, as as year coordinator, immediately after this um, this discussion, I'm going off to have a catch up with our first year students, where they can just dial in, have a Q and A, um, ask me about arrangements for the alternative assessments, just have a general chat with me. Uh, small talk is not my forte, so it puts me out of my own comfort zone. Um, but our support office will be there as well. I did one of these a couple of weeks ago um, and whilst it was like, oh yes, 10 people came, our first year is 150. So it's, um, you know, we've had some online support for workshops. Again, we were like, oh, we're like 10 students turned up, but usually our attendance is 90, 100 out of 150 is a minimum. So yeah, the engagement side of it from our perspective, it, from on the academic side has been an issue with our first years. But that said, they have been submitting work. They're just not taking up the support that we're trying to put on. Now, going back to um, you know, the idea was just 
turning support online isn't necessarily the best way of doing it, but it's what we're all trying to do to get through this in the for the next few weeks. Um, I agree with the mental health issues. Um, I think we've, by the sounds of it, we're doing similar things in chemistry um, to what Diana was saying. Um, so, um, but the students do seem to be struggling with this with this from the ones I've come across. But I only hear about the cases where they're struggling. People don't generally come and tell me, "Oh, I'm fine." They they generally get in contact with saying, "I'm really struggling to keep on top of all the emails, the deadlines, things on Teams now." Some people are still using discussion boards. Yeah, so it's there, there's there's a students some have adapted, some haven't, and I think a big consideration is their their resources at home. I think that's a massive thing that's already been pointed out. Um, these that, that's all I was basically going to say really so it sounds like we're having similar concerns yeah i mean in terms of the the support level so working in health sciences you know some of that is sort of integrated within our programs anyway sort of the mental health side of things and um so that hasn't changed and you know there is there are mechanisms university-wide and school-wide um in terms of the engagement i think yeah it's been heartening to see the third years engaged. So we've got about 30 odd students in our third year, third year and 50 in our first year. The third years, because it's this is graduation, is and it's with yes, um, with the, the assessments and things have to happen, not just in terms of their academic ability for registration to work as a clinical practitioner. We have requirements that we need to, to meet uh, for registration. I'm sure that's yeah, that'll be true across all the clinical programs. Uh, so I think the, the third is very motivated in that respect. And so we've been one of the things, tools we uh, use quite a bit is PebblePad because they use that when they're on clinical placement. And then so we've been putting cases on that and they've been really engaged and sort of joining and asking questions and putting up evidence. And uh, so that's really been uh, heartening to see. I think for yeah, similar to what you were saying, James, the first years are, for us, for our experience, seem to be the the one's not engaged as much but I still think there's a, there's a, an element they're still in that transition from school to university to being independent learners and I think they're still in that transition absolutely uh, uh, of you know wanting information and wanting vital to be an information portal and not a, a an interactive uh, you know I'm here to help you understand and you know that it's that transition and trying to manage that at the same time as all of this is a challenge. At mm. a distance and with the tools and because I was going to ask um, that in, in terms of I mean have you felt that um, apart from the resource issue that we, we've all mentioned or you've all mentioned in terms of the 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 digital tools and perhaps there are new tools that um, you and colleagues might be using with students or in terms of their skills of using that or just the way they think of what learning is like and you know people might be used to um, coming to campus and doing learning in a particular way what you mentioned about the transitioning to independent learning so have you had a sense of that how how that their response to that side of things I mean, as you're brings, trying to engage them in learning this brings in their digital literacies doesn't it basically and i mean from digital literacies per perspective we try to um maintain uh, similar you know uh, tools we haven't sort of bombarded them with a whole load of new tools and go oh you could do use this we could do use you know pebble pad they're very familiar with so you know it is trying to use what they're already familiar with and how what works and what we're familiar with you know it's if it's a learning curve for us, it's going to be a learning curve for them. Do you want to add that as an extra layer? So 
I think that's one thing. Yes, we've tried, we're, we're looking at new things and we have introduced bits and bobs, but f fundamentally we're still using the tools that we and they are familiar with. I don't know what everyone else feels. Uh, well, uh, one of the things that, that uh, I think always needs to be stressed with online learning is don't try to do something outside of your comfort zone. On the other hand, going back to the, you know, we used to just be doing things we were familiar with and how we need a new pedagogy. One of the, the conversations uh, that we needed to have quite early on um, right across the school was whether we were going to go for synchronous or asynchronous teaching. And, and, and initially, everybody went for synchronous teaching. They just turned up in teams to teach their seminar. A lot of students didn't turn up. Those that did turn up actually wanted to talk about how stressed they were. And those having a chance to see people and see each other's cats and just, you know, reassurance that life is normal and to talk about somebody's new puppy. All of that was really important, but it wasn't really where the teaching was happening. And uh, and and also there was very low take up. Whereas if you go for asynchronous teaching, then students can fit it around what else is going on in their households and you can get much higher levels of participation. So. This is something that that really neither staff nor students are familiar with. Uh, so but it is nonetheless a better option, I think, despite being unfamiliar. And these, I think, are the kinds of conversations we need to have more about, especially if we're going to have to be doing this next academic year where we will design this in ab initio. What works for students that you can't get together in a seminar room? Um, and so I, I think we do need to talk much more about pedagogy. And I think it's an important point, the asynchronous, asynchronous. And I think we've been trying, you're right, you, yeah, it, trying to sort of change some what you were doing previously into an online format, and it doesn't necessarily work. And I, a lot of what we do is, yeah, we've got international students, different time zones. You've got um, people who are working, like I'm alternating with my husband working. So there'll be other people doing, you know, some of our students will be doing exactly the same thing. So, yeah, but I think... Uh, using teams or you know, things where we're recording what we're doing at least gives that opportunity to students to then revisit it later so that if there are barriers or there are uh, reasons that they can't be at the computer at that time um and still giving everyone the opportunity but like you say there are some people who value that time together so yeah i i, I think it's i think it's a, a place for both isn't there mm -hmm. James, did you want to? Yeah, for, for, for me, I think it, it, my initial thinking was, well, let's go synchronous because, you know, that's what the students are used to, but they're not used to it online, as was pointed out. Um, the students who are supposed to be, who couldn't come to virtually come to workshops because they'd signed up to help with the NHS and they're actually driving things around for the NHS now. Um, it, so yeah, I, th I think moving forward, we need to have this conversation next for next year exactly as uh, as has already been pointed out. Also, from perspe our perspective, labs are a massive challenge. Um, students have not necessarily adapted well to be. You know, we can give them data, but that's not the same as them getting their own data and then understanding how to write an experiment up if they've not actually done the experiment themselves. So whilst because of the time in the year, I think we could muddle our way through. 
Um, but I think for if we're going to do this for the next academic year, in, in any even for the first six weeks or first semester, we really need to have a sit down and talk about the education side of this, um, you know, the pedagogy. We really need to. Um, and I think that's a really good point that was raised by Diana. I just I completely agree with everything that's been said, really, particularly in terms of synchronous teaching that really, I mean, it works for the handful of people who are on at any given time, but it's really not doing the job that we need to be done. Um, and that then, I think, it opens up other, you know, that's where we're going in this conversation, um, other discussions about, well, it's no use then trying to record a one hour lecture, which is the equivalent of you do in a lecture room. I mean, if, if you do that, it's really not going to work for the students. So you need to start to think if you're going to record fresh lectures, you know, make them much, much shorter, I would say, you know, probably maximum 20 minutes. Um, sometimes just very pragmatically, you know, an old lecture that you've got last year's lecture on available in lecture capture, that can be reusable but I think it's very important then you know on vital or, or, or somewhere just to put in the kind of if you like what the narrative of that lecture is the the, the summary of that lecture to give the students something um, to work with before they start watching something which is typically going to be about 50 minutes long. Uh, one of the big challenges I've faced is that my first year seminars in particular delivered by GTAs um, they were very much designed around group work activities most of which involved usually <laughs> things like moving bits of paper around the classroom so you know there were exercises where I don't know a, a big graphic was cut up into bits and they have to reassemble it as a group or there were card trading games that I'd invented and so on now obviously you cannot do that online um, what I'd love to have is access to a web developer or somebody who can recreate these as uh, as apps or you know web-based activities I haven't got that clearly um, but there is so much you could do with these same activities where a student could do it individually or in groups. You could, you know, turn it into a computer game type thing. I've got lots of ideas of how we could sort of uh, replicate a Duolingo type format um, for politics mm -hmm. teaching. But again, you know, this would require a lot of a lot of resource. But I mean, I can see enormous potential from mm -hmm. materials we've already got that could be converted and thinking towards the future. You know, there's there's lots of possibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, Diana, you wanted, sorry. Uh, yes, um, when I used to work for the Open University, we had software that could do a massive range of things for a synchronous seminar. Um, and it would be great to have that software. But uh, one of the um, tasks I had was uh, to advise new staff on how to use this software. And the, the thing I always said was, don't try to do something that is too complicated um, because uh, it, it's far better um, to do something you feel safe with and for it all to work than to try and use all of the bells and whistles. So I would love to see the university investing in software that has many more bells and whistles. Um, the ability to divide students up into groups with whiteboards and with polling and with sorting activities and, uh, and as Stuart says, being able to move things around. All of these things are possible. Um, but I think uh, we also need to reassure staff that just because they have software that can do all these things, that doesn't necessarily mean it will make their teaching better. And if they don't normally teach like that, if they normally teach a seminar by doing Q&A, then go on doing that. Do what you know works well, but in the new context. 
That sounds great advice, Diana. And I think it's 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 definitely that thinking process is so useful to to think through what exactly we are trying to do. And Anna, I I think you wanted to comment. Yeah, I, it was just sort of going back to the sort of resources out there. There's a lot of stuff that that exists, and I think we're trying to tap into that because what you know, Stuart's saying, you know, things that we have to then create. Yeah, it's great. Then it's exactly you know sort of made for purpose. But you know, we use things like Quizlet and looking at what's online and some some lots you know for a lot of the, the first year stuff, Iron Brain. There's some brilliant stuff out there. Again, it takes a bit of time to you know sort of figure it out or you know, you know suss it out. What we're you know we're looking at because of um, not being able to deliver some of the clinical placements for our students. We're now working with clinicians across the country as well to sort of like let's pool our resources. We need to support our students. They're not going to be able to see the patients uh, you know for the foreseeable future. So and we can't recreate the placement. Uh, without bodies but we can at least help support their learning so we're, you know sort of pooling resources and seeing what's out there mm. I mean I don't know whether that's my, my sense has been as well but with this pandemic just the um, collaboration and collegiality just in every level you know in, in my field your field people are so ready to help and support and share so that's been really nice to see because obviously that's such a hard situation for those students and for you as educators to try and um, deliver this education in the environment where it's not feasible, you know, when, when they can't go into the hospitals and, and get the experience firsthand. So I think we did talk about, uh, we covered the question around, uh, you know, some of the things what we might think about going forward. And I wanted to, because we are aiming at, we are hoping that people will listen to this podcast. Uh, is there anything that you want to pull out from your bag in terms of advice or tricks or things that have worked for you that you wanted to pass on? From, from a perspective of not having done a huge amount of online teaching, I've used online resources, but that's not the same. Um, for me, I, I, for me, it's too early um, I, to know what has worked. The main thing I picked up partly through this discussion, um, but I was also thinking this anyway, is the do what you know um, and don't just jump in to think using synchronous tools is the best. I, I'm repeating, I know what Diana said, um, but that is the main thing that I picked up on is that it's not the, it, you don't have to be all fancy and all, you know, all singing and dancing type of stuff. Just do what works um, and be willing to try new things. That's you know to get students to engage. That was my main. That was my main thing. Yes. Yeah, think, any others? I think student engagement is the key thing, isn't it? And help and showing that it's meeting, you know, supporting the students and in, in their understanding. And and I mean, we use tools and you know, sort of little online quizzes and all those sorts of things. You know, so students can be competitive. You know, it's setting little games and and you know things like that to sort of. So, you know, you can have a little, you know, a, a table, you know, league table or just make it a bit of fun as well, just, you know, but alongside the learning. And it's so like you were saying, that kind of addresses the well-being a little bit as well. It Maybe. makes sure you know that they're out there and go, look, who can do this? It takes 10 seconds, like some of the quizzes and, you know, or someone's got a you know, score of eight seconds. Can you beat it? Can you? You know, so there's, there's some little things I think that can address both well-being and um you know sort of the learning side of things but yeah and, and but thinking from the students perspective that they're, they're, they're you know they can't just follow the normal timetable they're not on campus they they have got other demands as we have 
that we've we've just got to try and sort of, yeah at the minute we're, you're like James says it is early days and I think because we're just figuring it out as well and juggling as we go along that we will just have to yeah it'll be very interesting to see um sort of come the summer where we are in terms of the pandemic where we are in terms of the university mm -hmm. and where we're going to be moving forward mm -hmm. Yes, yes, we, we, this is the final, we are in the final words now, I think, because I suppose the, the last question I wanted to to ask is just what keeps you going or what, um, you know, what, what's what's in your resources? And we can come back to our initial analogues of art or whatever analog analogy we want to make. You know, we, we started off with roller coasters, the scream, um some sort of order and and we are in it for the long haul you know it is going to be a long year so i'm i'm asking you and I, I guess colleagues what what keeps you going or what would be your i don't know aspirational thing to to hold on to in these times there's a couple of things i would say um one is care for the students i i think a lot of our students and this may be even more true for for um, Anna's students and James's students um, is a fear that they will be assuming that something, uh, you know, that we might call normal uh, in some sense uh, returns to us, that they will be a stigmatised group. They will always be um, the, 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 the COVID generation of graduates um, who, who didn't quite have a good enough education, didn't have the clinical practice and so on. So one of the things that, that keeps me going is, is doing my best to make sure that those students can feel confident in the education that they're getting. And um, one of our heads of department in, in my school um, used to uh, work in with the UN doing crisis stuff in, in conflict zones. And he said one of the most important things you have to do in a crisis is to create a sense of confidence in the people that you're dealing with, that they feel that you know what you're doing. And I think that's really important. The other thing that keeps me going, but this is just because I'm a geek, is is I, I am, uh, I like the idea of exploring the new pedagogy, that what can we do? What are the possibilities? How can we work with new people in new ways? Um, and, and so for me, it's a kind of exciting adventure to discover what else we can do. Excellent, lovely. That's really nice, Diana. <laughs> James, uh, oh, James just put a note here, his view on the last question. Look after yourselves and colleagues who might be living alone. Give time to yourself away from the computer, particularly if looking after children also. Okay, so that's, yeah. <laughs> Stuart? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things that's been keeping me going, and I've mentioned it already, but my students who have turned from making weekly radio shows to making daily podcasts, which is quite quite incredible. Um, that's been a kind of highlight every evening. It tends to sort of uh, drop onto SoundCloud or Spotify um, around about the time that I'm making dinner. Um, so I listen to their latest broadcast while I'm making uh, dinner. And, you know, one of the great things is they're talking to other students on there as guests, asking them how it's going. Uh, obviously, those broadcasts are available then to all students in the department. So there is a sense of it, you know, not just being reassuring for me because I, I know these students are doing great work and so on, but a sense of it kind of uh, sustaining, building a kind of virtual community for staff and students in, in politics. And they always surprise me with who they've got on their show every night. And um, that, that's been absolutely amazing. 
Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, I'll just, uh, I think what's keeping me going. Um, realistically, the, the, the semester isn't too far over, uh, too far to the end. You know, there is a, at least there's a little bit of a, a break and we've just got to be realistic and you know, what we're prioritising, what we're making sure that our students are supported and that they're ready for their assessments and this sort of thing, that other things can wait. And in terms of for our mental health, in terms of making sure that we're available to students, in terms of just reality. Um, and um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, sort of, sort of the online teaching aspects. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a juggling act for everybody, students, lecturers, and yeah, and we, 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 you know, we drop some balls sometimes. So it's just trying to make sure you're not juggling too much. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I hope you have some of your students listening because such the care, the pride and the empathy you have towards them and the commitment for the learning is just amazing to hear. And um, yeah, I think that, that that's why you are in this profession and that's why the students are lucky and hopefully it will all work for, out for them. But thank you so much, I think. Um, Thank you so much for coming along and sharing your experiences and views and um, hope to see you on another topic or perhaps some follow up after this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Okay.